Hey, who made you a disc jockey? Welcome from all of us to all of you. If you want to know how glad we are to have you with us, just you listen. Hi, and welcome to the Crisis on Infinite Midlands podcast. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. I burn my family alive, and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> it's episode 140. <laughs> Is that a comment on me or you? <laughs> no, that's because uh, Ross Garmel, uh, who's uh. a friend of the show, emailed me this week, number one, to say <laughs> he likes the fact that I seem to be obsessed with that sound clip. But he also brought up... And thinking about it, we probably shouldn't have name-checked it. He couldn't believe that neither one of us in last week's Crises Awards mentioned that we were excited for episode three. Episode, or episode three. Episode Nobody's three. excited for episode three. <laughs> Today's show brought to you by Lost Sailor IPA. <laughs> <laughs> episode eight. Episode, episode eight. eight. Yeah, episode three is about the yub-yub. <laughs> Nobody's about the yub-yub. <laughs> yub-yub. <laughs> Less yub, more yub. <laughs> what? <laughs> Tastes great. Less yub. I feel dirty. <laughs> Yub me, you lunatic. Christ. <laughs> but no, episode eight, neither one of us mentioned it, which is we're both looking forward to it. We are. It, it, yeah. I, I said Logan because... was the one I was looking most forward to, and I still think I am. It's weird. Episode eight, now we've had two good Star Wars movies in a yeah. row. I think that's the problem. Now that we have a Star Wars movie to look forward to every year, it becomes less unique and therefore does not always come to the top of the list. Yeah, I suppose that makes sense. Year before last was that's all anybody could think of, and then the Force Awakens was everybody was psyched, and I've seen it three or four times. It, I think part of it is also the more you watch the Force Awakens, the more you sort of see the first Star Wars sort of lurking underneath it. Yeah, which takes some of the squee off of it. <laughs> but then the combination of that and yeah, Rogue One was also good. It's like okay, we're gonna get a good Star Wars movie every year until the year we don't. Yeah, and then we will. Turn on whoever's in charge, uh. like George Lucas and his worst day. We'll tear <laughs> him apart. We'll punch him like a Nazi. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> punch or sucker punch? Uh, either way. <laughs> okay. I- I'm not sure it matters. It's Nazis. True. Th- that's the big debate this weekend. There was some, and I'll, I'll see if I can find it to put it in the show notes. Some video of some white supremacist somewhere talking to a camera, and some dude just sucker punches him. Yeah, it's because. He's like the pretty boy talking head of of like the new alt right slash neo Nazi slash white nationalist slash douche canoe <laughs> yeah, movement. I, I don't want to get I don't want to get particularly political about this particular guy. I'm just is it is it still okay to punch a Nazi? I think it's an American thing to do. If Captain America says it's okay, then I say it's okay. <laughs> well, all right. I don't know. I'm making this up as I go. That man course, punched many Nazis. Captain America lately has been saying, saying Hail Hydra, so I, I don't know. I don't know what to think anymore. Uh, yeah. <laughs> don't look at it. Shut your eyes, Mary, and don't look at it no matter what happens. Maybe that's the best way to do it. <laughs> <laughs> it just, it intersected directly with comics because is it okay to punch a Nazi and every comics person is, that's literally the first thing Captain America ever did. Yeah. But at the same time, I would not like to be punched for liking Captain America. That would seem wrong to me. It's hard to rally to Nazis. It's like Illinois Nazis. I hate those guys. <laughs> All right. See, if the Blues Brothers are against them, then I think it's okay to punch them. If Nazism can cut through Belushi's cocaine, yeah. it's probably reprehensible. Yes. So, so we're just going to leave it there, I think. Yeah, that'll be fine. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that's the weird thing. Other than the Nazi punching, it was kind of a quiet week for comics news. There's nothing particularly... Did anything jump out that you want to mention? No, it was pretty quiet. 
So we just sort of planned it's going to be one of those episodes. We're just going to talk about a whole bunch of comics. It's been a while since we did one of those. Yeah. Yes. We'll step back away from the horrible political arena. The Nazi punching. What would Uncle Ben say about punching Nazis? Oh, don't even start with Uncle Ben. <laughs> we're we're going to talk about the Clone Conspiracy 4 coming up. Yes. I think you and I had a very, I don't know about a very different reaction, but we had different reactions to that book. I you think... seemed a lot more hopeful about it than I wound up being. Yes and no. But we don't, we don't want to start with that one. No. Because this is one I think we also both have Let's strong opinions Let's start with emo of. Batman. Yeah. <laughs> Batman 15, written by Tom King, art by Mitch Gerards. Yeah, you have said repeatedly through Tom King's run that Batman's starting to feel emo. He feels emo. And I have not necessarily agreed. And God knows Tom King has tried like hell to put a, a strong imprint of his own on the characters in Batman. Yeah, a lot of it has been successful to me, less so to you. Yeah, this is the issue where we finally solved the mystery of Catwoman, the 237 dead people that she supposedly murdered, and the nature of the relationship between Batman and Catwoman, and... Yeah, it's kind of emo. It's fucking emo. <laughs> and it's I'm not really sure if this issue is really successful really in any way. It kind of falls way flat to me. And it's the first real, I don't want to say stinker, but it's like I get what you're going for and I just don't think it hangs together or works at all. And yeah, I totally get the emo. And this it took me 15 issues to see it, but... Yeah, okay. He's he's listening to a little My Chemical Romance. And now uh, that you've seen the soft emo underbelly of the Batman. <laughs> Ew. <laughs> no. <laughs> um Yeah, it's uh, there are a lot of moments in this issue that just don't feel like Batman at all. Nope. And uh, you said that about Batman 12. You know, which is where Batman describes a new version of what put him onto his path to be Batman. And yeah, you said it was emo and out of place. I said it was the single best comic book issue of the year. <laughs> you know, a minor difference of opinion. But, you think? but yeah, it's I really I get what you're saying in this because it, yeah, the way Batman reacts with Catwoman and some of the decisions he makes really they're not Batman. They're, they're Lloyd Dobler, <laughs> <laughs> just holding I, up the beatbox. <laughs> Gave her my heart. She gave me a <laughs> shanking. And she gave me a shiv. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so there were a bunch of things in this that didn't work for me, didn't ring true for Batman. And the first one is the big one that I'm sure a lot of people will have is when Batman says he loves Catwoman. Yeah. Which is not a thing I remember seeing that explicitly anywhere in a Batman comic. No, and... I don't know if he's saying that with some sort of level of calculation that maybe she won't do a runner if he says that he loves her. Clearly, it doesn't work. There is too much flat-out emo here. Uh, no, that's not calculated. <laughs> she is under his skin. It is, yeah. it is very much just from the number of panels pacing-wise between when she says, I love you, Bat, and then you get beat beat and then i burn my family alive and i like to light things on fire i pressed the wrong button <laughs> this is because i let you use the grill for dinner isn't it <laughs> man cook meat with fire <laughs> in a fire mood tonight but yeah i've never seen batman say that yeah i've seen it might be true there's been enough sexual tension and years of 
unwarranted, unreturned attraction, and then five straight years of New 52 where they're actively doing the dirty Batusi. But <laughs> there's been enough history. It might be true. And you can even argue that it's not just true, but it's fucking obvious. Because the weird thing is, seeing that panel, it's like, I don't think Batman would say that. And part of that is I grew up on Frank Miller's Batman from, you know, back when Frank yeah. was good <laughs> and had his shit together. But, but it, and yeah, the gut is, you know, Batman would never show the weakness of falling in love with Catwoman. But one of the few acts of real human affection that Batman shows in The Dark Knight Returns is when he rescues Selina from the Joker yes. in that book. So it's, I could argue, yeah, maybe it's true. Seeing it feels kind of weird. Well, I don't think anybody disputes that Batman has feelings and can love, but he would no more say I love you to Catwoman than he would to Damien or to Dick Grayson or to Tim Drake. Ew. (laughs) (laughs) At least he wouldn't say it naked. (laughs) I love you, you little bugger. Now let's get out there. (laughs) You could make the argument I can kind of see King sets up a situation where at least you can force it to make a little bit of sense because he's not chasing Selena here, at least not to start with. Where the I love you declaration happens, he firmly believes Selena is falsely confessing to these murders that he's taking her to jail for, Yeah, which makes her a victim instead of a target. Yeah, and actually, can we back up slightly? Before he even gets, we get into this like I love you bullshit, there's like <laughs> panel after panel of, oh, let's reminisce about how we met. You know couples like that. Uh, <laughs> rumor yeah. has it, I'm part of one. <laughs> there's there's having the awesome story of how you met, but then there's the feeling the need to tell everybody. <laughs> well, yeah, we got over that. But I mean, to be fair, here they're doing it between themselves. We just happen to be the voyeurs on the, the yeah. conversation. See, to me, that kind of worked. Uh, and it kind of worked in the sense that if, fine, if this is the issue that says for rebirth, this is the new normal. Yeah. Sort of giving nod to there have been multiple DC universes and multiple reboots. And uh, yes, where he's foiling the jewel robbery on a boat is one. Mm-hmm. And where he's in disguise as a crazy Vietnam vet, you know, <laughs> kicking Paolo the pimp to try and save Catwoman who doesn't need his help. Those are both valid origin stories for them. So to sort of give right, nod to it. I can see that. But I don't, again, maybe it's just because I've already sort of gone down the path of, ugh, this again? It just, to me, I'm like, tell your story to somebody else. I- <laughs> yeah, but to me, that kind of worked in the sense that by acknowledging, look, it's been this way and it's been this way, it sort of was a wink toward, and this is how it is now. Yeah. And yes, if you liked it this way, fine, we'll give a nod to it, but... This one remembers it this way, this one remembers it the other way, we're moving on into the emo Batman world. (laughs) Yeah, at least for the next uh, 18 pages or 17 pages, we certainly are. Yeah, just seeing Batman that sympathetic to Catwoman to the point where he'd actually confess that he loves her feels weird and I really I can't explain why because I mean it didn't feel weird in the killing joke where Batman is laughing over a joke with the Joker and in that one the Joker had just paralyzed Barbara Gordon and sexually tortured Commissioner Gordon and somehow that that, all right that's okay yep they're laughing together as the police come you know there's there's empathy there after the (laughs) cornhole Maybe it's just uh, I've spent too many years with single-minded Batman for that level of emotion toward Selina to 
feel like it's in place, but it is what it is. Yeah. That was more an emotional, a tone sort of piece. The plot is where it really starts to fall apart for me. Yes, because shortly after the, I love you. I think also part of the problem is, now that I I just said that out loud, the last (laughs) time we had a character uh, or relationship where, where something was was spoken and the other person didn't feel the need to say it because it should have been understood was Han and Leia. Like, if Catwoman says, I love you, Batman's response should be, I know. <laughs> no, it should be, you're an imbecile. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, all right, so she, she's fogged his brain up enough that she jumps off the rooftop and he's all like, oh, no, cat, I see you. <laughs> yeah, the whole bat and cat pet name thing that that can go away anytime that's not working so for they, me they at tell all. stories about how they met and they have pet names for each other does this not get more irritating as a relationship I, as it goes on they're gonna change each other's diapers when they get old <laughs> <laughs> you empty my bag cat <laughs> beyond that which yeah becomes more sickening and emo the more i think about it for this plot to work for this entire arc to have worked it finally occurred to me particularly now that we've seen who did the actual murders, and there will be spoilers, by the way. Yeah. This whole story and this whole arc requires that somebody, whether it was Catwoman or Holly Robinson, somebody had to kill 237 people connected to an event that occurred in Gotham City. Yes. Using a consistent methodology and based on the knife that we saw in the flashback and the one that Holly used on Batman in this, the same weapon. Yes. And Batman, Batman Mm. had no idea this was going on until Catwoman confessed. I mean, that's not anybody's Batman. No. It it doesn't hang true for the character. If it's happening in Gotham, if it's based in Gotham, he knows about it. Yeah. (laughs) And and you could make the argument that, oh, no, but Scott Snyder indicated with the owls that there are things under the surface that he's not aware of, to which I would reply, 237 dead people are not on the surface. (laughs) Well, not anymore. Yeah, Holly's, <laughs> Holly's not big enough to dig that many holes. I don't care who she is. Yeah. And granted, they weren't all killed in Gotham, but he'd have picked it up. Yeah. I don't know if King expects us to believe that maybe Batman has a blind spot when it comes to Catwoman, so he refused to believe it was happening. But, all right, let's assume that's what he means for this plot to make sense. Yeah. And, and that's just me extrapolating because there is nothing in any of the issues that I can recall that makes any indication of that. But if that's the case, that he's got a blind spot, apparently it has never affected him in stopping her from committing the many other felonies that she has committed in Gotham City. So even if that's what he means, it doesn't hang together. It doesn't make sense. Yeah. It, oh, but murder. No, no, don't buy it. <laughs> yeah. Nope, nope. <laughs> so I, I don't buy that. Yeah. Uh, and the other one, and this is purely based on personal experience that I told you about when I was uh, visiting my folks at Christmas this past year. For this particular story to work the way it does it it means that we have to believe that holly could get the drop on batman to the point where she could slit his fucking throat before he can even react yeah i don't buy that either yeah and this is becoming now a larger issue batman just has a blind spot for women like (laughs) (laughs) no batman should be a ten dollar all you can eat testicle (laughs) you're just walking into him today (laughs) Tell a sad story about your family. I'm ready with a Hulk thing. No, I'm good. Once upon a time, I bought Batman 15. (laughs) It was a sad day. 
<laughs> Batman went full emo. I now was confronted with Hot Topic Batman. It numbed me to my core. Made me think about cutting to feel. <laughs> yep. It was a bad day. <laughs> Amanda, everybody. <laughs> so, <laughs> let, let's step back away from Batman has become a uh, woman crazy. This girl crazy Batman. <laughs> Just like with the Frankie Valley. Who who was in the, uh, uh, with the Netflix Yeah, no. Wait, Those beach Frankie. movies. Frankie Avalon, yes, Frankie Avalon, <laughs> Frankie the Putz, whatever. <laughs> That's a step away from the boy crazy. Yes, we we see in this issue that Catwoman has trained Holly, and that's part of how she was able to kill two hundred thirty seven people and and get away with it up to a certain point. Yes, and I could buy that maybe Holly's training is what allowed her to get the drop on him, except. Catwoman is never really able to do that nearly as effectively. Yeah. The other thing, and I said this happened at Christmas while I was visiting my folks, and I told you about this, Amanda. I've got an old drinking buddy from my 20s who is in the Secret Service, the United Mm. States Secret Service. Yeah, He's been there for a while. He's done presidential details. And yeah, I saw him for the first time in years this past Christmas, and we were were catching up. We'd had a couple beers, and I went and pulled my e-cigarette out of my pocket. And this guy shifted into a defensive position so fast, it I almost couldn't believe it. It scared me. Because mm. to the point of like, it's an e-cigarette! E-cigarette! I quit smoking! <laughs> it's a fucking e-cigarette! Just look at it! And then, <laughs> then my hands are interlaced behind my head, my knee, I was kneeling on the ground. Well, it, it certainly didn't reach that position. <laughs> but yeah, it's, he relaxed at that point. But yeah, for just a second, even though he fucking knew me, he was a trained professional who saw someone take out a piece of machinery he couldn't identify, and he just shifted. He, he worked on instinct. And I refuse to believe that the dude I once puked with outside of the Caskin flagon across from Fenway Park <laughs> is better trained with faster reaction times, faster reaction times after a couple of beers than the goddamn Batman. No, <laughs> I, just, that's, I can't believe you're it. You're absolutely correct. So... And uh, yeah, that's just a personal experience that I had that I brought into this book, but I can't be the only person who's terrified a Secret Service agent this weekend. So <laughs> it's just a weird little experience that tied into this where it's like, nah, I don't buy it. And also I'm having difficulty with this because this is telling me that his armor sucks. <laughs> well, I mean, getting armor around your throat so that you can actually move your head, I imagine would be a difficult proposition i possibly but they have this thing called chain mail <laughs> maybe you've heard of it <laughs> like I, yeah. I can't believe he wouldn't have like you know maybe a, a layer of fabric so that you know because chain mail pulls your hair and then the chain mail and then the cowl i would imagine he has some form of protection yeah but you know even if it's kevlar you can cut kevlar yeah but yeah, yeah you're really talking <laughs> a, a metal chain mail type I mean, I think with my awesome experience as an armorer, <laughs> you know, from my great military campaign on the Xbox. I'm thinking that Batman rolled poorly when he was creating his armor. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> he bought from the wrong merchants. Yes. <laughs> but either way, a lot of things that we have to believe about Batman have to be really wrong for him to get his throat cut. Yeah. <laughs> Even in the throes of emo. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I was a bummed out teenager, but I never got my throat cut. <laughs> you know, whenever you're having a bad day, <laughs> you say, ah, oh, geez, you know, I, 
I, I burned dinner. I, uh, I seem to have like misplaced all of my laundry detergent. Now I'm going to be filthy. But you know, I never had my throat cut. You got to look on the bright side. <laughs> you always got to be positive. <laughs> uh, like Han Solo. I got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> At some point, I got to go through and clear this out. So I'm going through some of the oldies before I go ah. through and, and review the sound clips. Got it. Let's face it, I only have one more button and with Heatwave on there now, yeah, I'm going to have to clear some space. Got to make room for Heatwave. <laughs> Said you for the first time ever. <laughs> so yeah, what else? Uh, all right, so also, and, and this was really, this, this is more a plot point, mm. almost more so than everything else. For this story to come together, it means that Selena has to not only count on Batman figuring out who Holly is based on her little slip during their little pillow talk at the beginning. Yeah. But it counts on Batman getting to Holly in time to discover that she's the one who did the murders. Otherwise, Selena's going to be a permanent fugitive and she's going to go to Blackgate eventually. Right. So the only way this gets out of it so Catwoman can still walk free and be a viable character is for that timing to work out. Now, for that to work, one of two things had to have happened. Either Selina was willing to allow Batman to throw Holly in jail, which would mean that, no, she didn't just let Holly's name slip. It was an on purpose. And, okay, I'm going to gamble that Batman gets there and is able to put the arm on her. But that doesn't make any sense because everything we've seen since, like, Batman 9 is based on Selina trying to protect Holly by confessing to these murders. So that doesn't add up. It also requires... Selena to believe that she's trained Holly well enough to be able to get away from Batman. So if Batman gets there in time, as he does, she has these skills as she does to get away from him, even though Selena herself almost never escapes Batman. Yeah. So Selena Light, that, that's a lot to ask based oh, on training that... Murderous Selena Light. <laughs> yeah. So, but yeah, it, if those things don't hang together, we need to believe that, yes, yeah, Selena let Holly's name slip by accident. So it really, she had no idea that Batman would actually find her. Yeah. Because yeah, if she did it on purpose, then she meant for Batman to hunt Holly down, which negates that she's been lying all this time to protect her. But if Selena did let it slip by accident, why the fuck was she hanging around Holly's place so that she could rescue Batman after Holly shanked him? Well, she was on a, I mean, Holly was then on, head out to a plane to get to Kandak, Kandak, however the Kondok. Thanks. I had it right the first time. Kondok is uh, Black Adam's hometown. Yes. So all I could think of is maybe Sel- maybe Holly called Selena on the way to the airport. Yeah, except based on the timing, there's no indication uh, that she was going to be on the run until Batman found her. Because Alfred found, okay, somebody just you know, made this reservation, uh, an emergency leaving in 30 minutes. Well, that's after Batman's falling to his death. Holly was sleeping it's not like she was packing when Batman found her. Maybe Selena was paranoid because she realized, oh shit, I've, I've mentioned Holly. He's going to do something with that. I should keep an eye on him. It's possible. You never know. But it's none of it really hangs together. And uh, assuming it's just a, oh, maybe he'll figure it out. Well, then she's putting herself in jeopardy because <laughs> the Batman is going to find Holly to find Selena. So if Selena is seen, then he will pivot and capture Selena and send her back to jail. None of this really makes any fucking sense. No, and I, I, I'm, a, I'm ready to give this like maybe two more issues. <laughs> Overall, the arc, I don't have nearly the problem uh, with the entire run that King has done as you do. I think there have been some weak issues. I think this one really falls down. 
but there have been some great issues, and I know you don't agree with some of them. But I'll flat out say that first issue where he's dealing with the plane and this would be a good death. Oh, yeah. No, I, I enjoyed that. Yeah, it that started was... to go downhill for me when he went off on this romantic tangent with Catwoman and made it so fucking overt. Yeah, it's the last couple issues, in particular this issue, have been a problem because it also occurred to me, it's like, huh, <laughs> all this time Batman's been balls deep in Catwoman, uh, you know... A couple issues ago, you went to said to Prisca to get Psycho Pirate so that you could cure Gotham Girl. Is that a thing you you found time to get your dick out of Catwoman? Yeah. And <laughs> drop Psycho Pirate have off. Have we taken of the care cat? of that yet? <laughs> yeah, I mean, maybe it's okay to have an Omega level insane agoraphobic power just rattling around in the Bat Cave. Maybe that's okay. <laughs> that's an acceptable risk as long as you're getting your Bat dick wet. But it, <laughs> did you did you find the time? <laughs> It's yeah, there have been a couple problems with the last couple issues. So yeah, as a rebirth imagine reimagining of Batman's relationship with Catwoman, this is far more of a miss than I hoped. Like I said, there were a few things I did like in it. I had a better reaction to the no, this is the origin. No, this is the origin uh, than than you did because I I tried to take it in the spirit of yeah, there've been a bunch of stories and this is one and if you don't like it, there'll be another one eventually. At least that's the spirit I took it yeah, in. Yeah, and uh, I don't know. I I've been in the past a fan of the idea of Bruce and Selena, but I think I liked it better when it was more of an implied on the down low. I don't like this overt shit. And I'm almost at a point based on just the way that the two behave around each other. It's almost tripping my, my Daisy Buchanan buzzer. And I just, <laughs> I, I'm beginning to want something heavy to fall on both of them. I just, <laughs> I have more faith in Batman. Catwoman, fine, whatever, <laughs> whatever he wants. Bitch, be crazy, get going. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see what you're saying. Yeah, this didn't work really well for me. It's a continuation of what sort of started with New Fifty Two, as awful as that was. That first issue of Catwoman, where we, yeah, we we learned not only does he not protect his throat, his <laughs> junk is apparently not well protected. Yeah, yeah, it's it did not really work particularly well for me. You know, some of the things I did like going back through my notes here. I did like that slice of life moment of Commissioner Gordon just excoriating himself in the mirror for being a degenerate smoker. It's like, you're going to die because every morning you get up and smoke and then you go to bed and sleep for three hours and smoke and then Batman's just there. When Commissioner Gordon's talking with Batman, it's like, wasn't Selina Kyle supposed to be in Blackgate Prison? <laughs> Funny story. <laughs> Batman says Jim and very specifically Gerard's puts a... Gordon's face off panel going, yeah, Jim. <laughs> to, to me, it was clearly, it, yeah, okay, I can't even look at you, Batman, because I know you were fucking her. I know you were fucking her, and that's how she got away. You're dumb as a stick. It's a, the same thing with the buddies. Like, <laughs> oh, God, you let her hook up with you again? Jesus Christ. Yeah, and, and if your friends are having that re reaction to your relationship, that's usually a sign. It, it is. <laughs> Very much is. <laughs> I've ignored that sign far too often. <laughs> I really didn't like the ending. No. The she stole the night. I just, I don't get it. I mean, I, I think King got a little esoteric and crawled up his own ass at that moment. <laughs> well, not seriously. She stole what? The actual night that they were banging? It seems he got his piece. The, the following night where the, he was hunting down Holly Robinson? That wasn't part of the deal. Did she steal the concept of night? Batman's command over the night? 
the darkness of Batman's feelings is shown in metaphor to be the night. Fucking M. Night Shyamalan. What the fuck did she steal? I don't get it. I, well, I mean, if he's, you know, I, I'm Batman. I am vengeance. I am the night. He stole his heart. <laughs> yeah, that line was when it finally went, oh, yeah, shit. This is fucking emo as hell. This is. Stole my black little bat heart. Yeah, she stole the night is a My Chemical Romance fucking track listing <laughs> or a black hoodie from Hot Topic. And it did, yeah, that last line, I get he was going for something deep. I think it was a swing and a massive fucking miss. Look, I'll give him credit. I think he's hit more than he's missed in the last 15 issues. But yeah, this one just didn't work for me. Yeah. I hate to say it because I've, I've generally enjoyed it. And I know he's trying like hell. But yeah, this one is just it. This, this one's a pass. Yeah. Bane yeah. comes back next week. Or in two weeks. Let's wait for that one. Okay, that sounds good. Yeah. Anything else you want to... No, I just... It seems to me that if Holly is in the wind and on her way to Kondak, there are any number of other super-powered individuals who could go intercept her at the airport and fly her ass right the fuck back. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> if only somebody had Superman's phone number. Shit! I know, or if somebody like you know was the fastest man alive and could beat the plane there. Yeah, or, and hear me out... If somebody had put Psycho Pirate in front of Gotham Girl, you've got your own fucking superwoman <laughs> living at your house <laughs> who could go to the airport. <laughs> I, I have really enjoyed more issues than I have not of this Batman run. I think he's really swinging for the fences, and when he hits, it kicks ass. This one didn't do it. Yes. So, anything else on Batman 15, or do we get to one... Another book that disappointed me. Great. There, there's going to be at least one review where I really unabashedly liked it. Stay tuned. There's going to be positive. I swear to God. Right now, to, to quote a, a great man, Mike Rowe of uh, Dirty Jobs, it's nothing but death here. Death and disappointment. <laughs> and to quote another great man. I burn my family alive. And I like to light things on fire. <laughs> uh, should, we do, should we do clones? Yes. Everybody loves spider clones, right? Send Historically. Oh, don't do it. You do that every time. <laughs> There ought to be clones. <laughs> no, there shouldn't be. We learned it once, and, and apparently we done forgot it. Don't bother. We father. Stop They're it. Here. <laughs> Stop. With great power. Oh. Ah, <laughs> uh, Amazing Spider-Man: The Clone Conspiracy. <laughs> Number four. Somebody was giving booze to these goddamn things. Written by Dan Slott, art by Jim Chung. Uh, my first note here is, first clones, now zombies, who gives a shit? <laughs> Why don't you start with your observations? Because my next note is a question, and I think it matters for not just the clone conspiracy, but everything that we have seen from Spider-Man since Secret Wars. And I think it really matters, and I think it's part of why it just has not gotten back off the ground for me since Secret Wars ended. So before I go off on that tangent... Why don't we start with your observations? Well, at least start because I think you felt more positively about this than I did. I wanted to, and then I thought about it for a while. I oh, that's a mistake. <laughs> yeah, no, I I've found this story kind of ridiculous on the whole throughout the whole thing. I get bringing back a clone here or a clone there for the purpose of fucking with Peter. That's been done through time immemorial in Marvel over and over and over, but. Yeah, let's just bring it back a couple. Never mind. I'm like, I've done too many sound effects so far. <laughs> but the person under the jackal mask, who turns out to be Ben Riley. Yes. Uh, spoilers. Spoilers, by the way. By the way. 
Marvel solicited a Ben Riley book. It's it's all over the internet. Oh, so you Jesus. can we'll talk about that in a minute, but go ahead. Because we need more of this shit. Okay. So <laughs> has has it in his head. I'm gonna you know, since I think like Peter Parker and Peter Parker's like, no more death, I'm just gonna bring bring everybody back from the dead. No. <laughs> I mean, it would be nice if you could save everybody, but where are you gonna put them? <laughs> It's like that Stephen Wright joke. <laughs> kind of everything. Where'd you put it? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after a certain point, if nobody dies anymore, where does everybody go? <laughs> Is Parker Technology and 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 New You going to come up with like the next you know space shuttle to Mars? And <laughs> there, Parker Parker Industries is in the Baxter Building. Negative zone done. I would like them to put all of these clones in the negative zone. I would like to put them in a goddamn meat grinder. <laughs> that too. <laughs> So they, they go through this whole thing, and, and it looks like we're, Ben Riley's going to win, and everybody's going to be happy again, and they're going to bring back you know Uncle Ben until Peter Parker steals all of Ben Riley's thunder and says, well, if you were going to bring him back, you would have, because I think what's keeping you from doing that is that Ben would give you that look like only he can give you and, and tell you that what you were doing is wrong, and you wouldn't be able to handle that. And then Riley freaks out on a on a level, tantruming like he's some sort of two-year-old, and then decides, well, fuck it. If I can't have clones, nobody can have clones. Let's go zombie. <laughs> Ugh. The fact that this is going to turn into a zombie story is just icing on the cake of, oh, we're going to do this shit again. And it's just what this shit is shifts from issue to issue. See, I like... Initially, the idea that Parker called Riley out in terms of Uncle Ben wouldn't have wanted this. It could have been done well before Uncle Ben's body was a specter in in the plot line. Oh, it could have, but the shock moment of, got the coffin, dead guy right here, then you can't do that. I'm I'm just saying (laughs) that it shouldn't have taken Parker that long to figure out where his moral compass was at with this. No, it shouldn't have taken, I think there's been a couple issues, and not a couple full issues, but yeah, it was the cliffhanger at the end of the last one, and there's been like an amazing Spider-Man in between where it's still been a sort of up in the air thing. Yeah, it should have been an immediate, no, ew, gross, that's not the right thing to do. Because also, they're implying that in every other world in the Spider-Verse, Parker has bought into this and, and thrown in wholeheartedly because of the possibility of Ben coming back. It doesn't seem right to me that only our universe, Peter Parker, would have the thought that now Ben would not want this. That's a problem I've had with it from the beginning, and it's a problem I had with... I had the same positive reaction of, oh, thank God, Peter Parker knows the right thing to do. He he thought through it and understood it, but this is the third fucking time Peter Parker has had to deal with clones. He should already know the problem with clones. <laughs> Cloning people, bring them back. No, it's a bad fucking thing. It's terrible. Don't do it. It's not, never a good idea. He should already fucking know. Yeah. And then I got angrier about it the more I thought about it because this is where we're at with Marvel. We're at the point with Marvel where Peter Parker understanding that with great power comes great responsibility is a massive moral victory instead of the fucking status quo of the character. Yes. That should be all he thinks about. Yes. Is power and responsibility. And it's kind of the problem with Peter Parker now. So I'll go back to the question. Actually, no. 
Any other, what other observations do you have before I go off on this tangent on what the fuck is the matter with Peter Parker I right now? I think it's adorable that we're seeing Kurt Connor's softer side. Um, <laughs> seems very family oriented. What is nice. taint? What are you talking about? No, he's all like, I need to go hang out with my family and have dinner. I'm the lizard. <laughs> <laughs> he was always like that as Kurt Connor. Yeah, but now he's like that as the lizard, and I just think that's funny. <laughs> Visually, yeah, it's a it's a dichotomy that is striking. Yes. I'll give you that. I also enjoyed uh, when Anna Maria was brought into the lab to help inspire Otto Octavius's work, and he's all like, <gasps> Anna! And she's like, fuck you! <laughs> Ew, gross! Yeah. <laughs> but even then, she's like, God, you, you are brilliant. But yeah, you're a monster, and fuck you. <laughs> yeah, so I like that exchange. They're- and it's the actually, yeah, my favorite moment of this issue was when Ben Riley slash Jackal says, "Oh, we can clone you a perfect body with no flaws," and she basically says, "Fuck you, I am perfect." Yeah, but that's that's the interesting thing because that's the catalyst for when Otto burns it all down, and then Ben reacts on top of that. the The whole idea that on all of these worlds at some point, there's some catalyst, there's some moment where the new humans or whatever they're calling themselves. The replicants, jackholes. Humans, I don't know. <laughs> um, they, their biology breaks down and they, they go zombie. Carrion. Right. Carrion, yes. And it seems here that it's not so much that it's anything that Peter does per se. It's, it's more that Otto has this moment. <laughs> It makes it inescapable. Yeah. So if it's, oh no, on every universe, Peter cooperates and it's just a thing that happens, uh, now it means it was going to happen no matter what. Right. So now we're into questions of fate and whether or not you can choose your own destiny. And why that, Ulysses didn't see this coming. Right. It's a, It should have been addressed <laughs> in Civil War too, but it wasn't. So it's a, no, it's like one way or the other. No, got to have zombies. It's yeah. in the contract. So I'll write the zombies. The the other big problem, and, and I think you're on the right track with it, is yeah, Otto turns against Jackal, Prowler turns against Jackal, but they're the only ones, and they're fucking supervillains. Yeah, because it's like the other, all the clones are supposed they're not supposed to be inherently evil because they're clones. They're supposed to come back the way that they always were, and yet to a one, they all throw in with the Jackal, no matter what he asks them to do. I mean, I have trouble believing that Gwen Stacy. And Captain Stacy would throw in with a goblin and Doc Ock. Yes. You know, the characters who fucking killed them. The, they killed them and now they're on the same. T- no, that's not a thing that they would do. Yeah, it, it suggests that um, selfish interests somehow trump their, their moral sensibilities. Yeah. And that Peter and Otto and. Prowler are the only ones that somehow can see past that. Yeah, but it's everybody down to Ben Riley. And what's wrong with Ben Riley is actually spoiled by the solicits for the Scarlet Spider book coming up. But I'll get okay. to that in a second. <laughs> but yeah, it's without knowing that. Yeah, Riley is the worst because he's supposed to be an exact copy of Peter Parker. But we see him just in this issue emotionally torturing Jonah Jameson by dangling his father over him. And Peter would never use power over Jonah that way because with great power comes something. I don't quite remember. At least they don't seem to remember <laughs> on a consistent basis at Marvel. Yeah, Peter Parker would never use Gwen and Captain Stacy. People who are his greatest failure. 
His, his greatest yeah. failure was to fail to protect them and put them sort of on the front line as soldiers in his little army without even saying who he is, without even having the courage to say, I failed you, but... Because, yeah, nobody here knows that he's... They start to get an inkling in this issue that he might be a clone of, or at least a Spider-Man. Yeah. He would never do that, let alone be willing to kill everyone in the world, whether he thinks he can bring them back or not. Killing everybody's a big deal. That's not a Peter Parker thing historically. Historically. I also... The, the whole idea of, like, nobody dies. We can you know, Everybody in your family can live forever. So, sometimes people have family members that suck. You know, God, yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not naming names. Not all of them have to go on. <laughs> I mean, I'm not necessarily referring to my specific family, but I'm just saying that not everybody's going to have warm fuzzies about keeping, you know, grabby Uncle Ollie around. Or <laughs> I, I firmly believe every woman has a red dress and every guy has silly socks to wear to that particular funeral. <laughs> You know, I, the Tabasco sauce clown tie where <laughs> when Aunt Susan really likes Goldschlager a little too much and That's not possible. <laughs> you can't. And sometimes likes to, you know, MacGyver herself a drink out of gin and cough syrup because it's there and she's got needs. How dare you diss the gin sizzurp? <laughs> Is that a thing? It's going to be. It's going to be later. Let her go. Let her and her pickled liver, which is going to live on by itself because it's sentient. Just let it Just let it go. God, even, <laughs> even in the casket, she smells like juniper and romalar. <laughs> so you're right. It's uh, not every family member. <laughs> there are family members that, Rob, if you help me rob a bank, I'll bring back X. Like, you know what? I think I'm good. <laughs> I'm all right. Yeah. Don't you want to spend another minute? Not even a second, motherfucker. <laughs> I'm good. Safe travels. Going back to, I think, the biggest problem I've had with this, and I've had with Spider-Man since Secret Wars, is really, who is Peter Parker the character for now? Yeah. And that's a serious question, because when he was created, he was groundbreaking, because comics were mostly read by adolescents, teenagers, you know, who generally feel powerless, because they are. Yeah. By giving them an adolescent hero who is just as picked on and confused as everybody who's that age feels like they are, Stanley and Steve Ditko gave an aspirational role model that you couldn't get by reading, like, Batman and Robin. Yeah. So maybe a strong, white, rich man will take me in and teach me how to <laughs> perform tumbles in his basement. Ew. I, now I'm scared <laughs> of Batman. Apparently, Orphan Annie should have strove for more. <laughs> pupils. <laughs> pupils might have worked. Daddy Warbucks got all this money. Can't get me pupils. <laughs> <laughs> but then while, while Marvel was moving forward in real time, Peter Parker, age two, he was a college student with money problems and a fucked up love life. He couldn't figure it out, just like all the readers. You know, and for those of us who grew up in the 70s and the 80s, Peter Parker aged into a regular guy in his 20s trying to survive with a shitty job and a new wife, juggling all that with being Spider-Man at night. While if you're ever going to try to do something aspirational, usually it's in your 20s where you have the energy to go out and do shit after your shitty day job. I mean, yeah. that's when you and I did stand-up comedy because right. we had the juice to do it without falling apart in the morning. And yeah, as bad as one more day was... It at least put Peter back into a role as a regular guy. Yes. You now in his early twenties, so he aged down, but he was still a character 
who worked because you could relate to him. Ever since Secret Wars, he's a multimillionaire with a fucking garage full of toys and a closet full of crime-fighting equipment trying to navigate the perils of being a fucking international superhero with the demands of running a multinational corporation. So he's Tony Stark. Yeah. It's like everybody. We all do that, right? Sure. I can barely get to my day job with my pants on. Lately, I've been Ubering to my job because I just can't even. No, that's all I got. (laughs) That's all I got. All right, never mind. (laughs) That's part of why Spider-Man as a whole has left me cold since Secret Wars. I don't have anything in common with Peter Parker anymore. I'm a middle-aged white guy. And when I got more empathy on an issue-by-issue basis with Ms. Marvel, who's a teenage Muslim girl living in fucking New Jersey... If I feel more about that character than I do about Spider-Man, Marvel has a problem. Yes. Yeah, I've never worried about the ramifications of patent squatting on my fall product <laughs> release, but I've been to a public high school. I know what that's like. Peter Parker has been a big problem with the clone conspiracy. You know, the concept of losing a family member and being willing to do almost anything to bring them back, provided they're not aunt dipshit smelling like juniper. <laughs> I can relate to that. Everybody can. But wrapping it up with... Peter trying to decide if that means he should merge you new with his corporate entity to do a launch of this product across the world on a multi-million dollar basis, it pulls back emotionally significantly. Yes. Peter Parker's a fucking problem right now. And that's a bad thing for Marvel Comics. I have concerns. I think that he and Ben Riley both need to release their tax returns. <laughs> And punch a Nazi just to show yeah. us what side they're on, for Christ's sake. Yes. I mean, am I wrong? No, you're not wrong. Who's Peter Parker for now? He's Tony Stark. He's Tony Stark purely by coincidence now that Tony Stark is in a coma or dead or whatever he is. But yes, Peter Parker is not working for me. Miles Morales is working for me far better. But even that we talked about last week or, or the episode before the street level Spider-Man stuff. <laughs> as soon yeah. as we're out of Secret Wars 2, where is he? Oh, another dimension. <laughs> okay. That's a Spider-Man thing that happens all the time. Yeah, I mean, I was on my way to my prom, and then all of a sudden, you know, this gaping black hole opened up, and I, I found myself in, in another dimension. That was Rohypnol, baby. Fuck. <laughs> I don't know what the statute of limitation <laughs> is, but you should talk to a lawyer. <laughs> but once again, and now we're in a situation where we know there's a Scarlet Spider book coming out, and we have a hero who has done reprehensible things and jeopardized the world as a whole, who now we're expected to go to (laughs) his new (laughs) comic book where he's a hero. In his mind. Maybe he's a hero in his mind. We're in Captain Marvel territory again where, oh, this horrible dipshit who's done awful things. Yeah, they're a hero now. Yeah, why do I want to follow a book about somebody who's behaved so blatantly unheroically? Yeah, well, at least the solicit indicates that Ben's going to, at least up to a point, try to make up for his past. By lighting so. himself on fire? <laughs> I burn my family alive. I like to light things on fire. 22 glorious color pages of just self-immolation. I'm so sorry. Yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> sitting in the middle of Central Park, just flicking his bick in his pants. <laughs> I just know every, every panel is him in like a different town. With a, He's sitting on a park bench with a, a, a sign that says, sorry. Just... <laughs> <laughs> Istanbul, sorry. See, the hell of it is, I, I've hated, I, I hated the first Spider-Clone saga. And not the first one by Jerry Conway, because, I mean, that was two issues and out. Yeah. And then we didn't talk about it for 30 years. Yes. But the, the 90s Spider-Clone saga, 
so yeah, going back to Ben Riley and the Scarlet Spider are back. The, the hell of it is that book is being written by Peter David and drawn by Mark Bagley. So I'll fucking buy it at least once. Yeah, I mean that's I'm, a creative team I'd almost follow into hell. Yeah, I'd, I'd be willing to give that a try based on the talent involved, but that also means what kind of rehab do they have to do on the character after Slot's done with him? Exactly. <laughs> It's going to take some time because at, at least they're name checking it in the solicit that he's going to try and do that. Unlike, yeah, I read Captain Marvel number one and beyond somebody saying, oh, I'm not at the cool kids table because uh, I did this in Civil War. Yeah, it might as well be nothing happened. Yeah. So at least they're mentioning it. I swore that last episode would be the last one I bitched about Civil War 2. I swear to God. But How do you feel about Civil War 2? Fucking Rob? Civil War <laughs> Where's my whiskey funnel? <laughs> None of this is, is working for me at this point. We got a version of Peter Parker that I care less about than I ever have, fighting a bunch of unsympathetic cloned versions of characters that supposedly we're supposed to love from Marvel history. Right. Now, as we transition into another fucking zombie attack story and another Scarlet Spider series, Marvel, partying like it's 1999, <laughs> you know, when they declared fucking bankruptcy. I'm really concerned about the history, not the history, the future of Marvel at this point. I feel like they're just digging a goddamn hole. Well, this also feels like, all right, all of you who have been bitching about, you miss your classic classic characters. Here they are. They're kind of dorks. You really want them back? It's, you should feel bad about liking them. See what kind of assholes they are here? Yeah, it's if, the, if that's the purpose of this, to do sort of a half-ass rebirth and bring some characters back, do it like DC's doing with rebirth. Just say, okay, punch out. Everything's new again. Yeah. But Marvel can't reboot. Marvel doesn't reboot. There's nothing wrong with the Marvel Universe, except Spider-Man's all fucked up. <laughs> That's a problem. Clones. Why did it have to be clones? <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, clone conspiracy, and it's weird because other Dan Slott Spider-Man events that on paper seemed as ridiculous as... Spider Island. As a soup sandwich. Yeah, Spider Island. <laughs> That, that seems stupid. Oh, really? Everybody's Spider Man. You've got now? spider powers, and you've got spider powers, and you've got spider powers. Yeah, but that was really fun. Yeah. It, it's a shame to say it. This is just not working. Spider Man right now is not. I would rather read Miles Morales Spider Man than Peter Parker. Yes. Who was my first fucking comic book. That's rough. Yeah. And it's not going to last forever, but the last time we were here, yeah, Marvel almost went away. Mm hmm. I don't know who the Joe Quesada waiting in the wings to save Marvel is. Maybe it's you, Rob. That really seems unlikely. <laughs> That's a, I, I am not going to save you. I can't write a story. I can't write a dirty lemrick. Dick jokes. That's what I do. Something's telling me it might be you. <laughs> I'm not going to do it. I'm not going nuclear. <laughs> Are you about sugar man me? I admit nothing. <laughs> <laughs> That's rough. So, I mean, do you have any different feeling about this? Because when you first read it, you seemed pretty At first positive. I was like, oh, good. Somebody in the Marvel Universe is finally behaving like they're supposed to. And then, I, like you, I, I thought about it. And I realized it shouldn't be, yay, finally somebody's behaving like they ought to. It should be the status quo. <laughs> yes. For things to have reached this point, it, yeah, it requires a clone of Spider-Man to not act like Spider-Man and Peter Parker to not act like Peter Parker and a bunch of characters to act completely out of character. This is a plot, not a story. Yeah. 
and it's it doesn't work for me. I want to I want out. I'm punching out. Okay. Except we have a comics podcast, so I got to keep reading it. Fuck. You'll just be angry all the time. <laughs> That's okay. I'm an alcoholic. <laughs> All right, I want to talk about The Ray? Let's talk about The Ray. All right, The Ray Rebirth, uh, written by Steve Orlando, who's been doing uh, Midnighter and Apollo. Yes. So I was psyched about that to start with. Art by Stephen Byrne. I feel obliged to talk about The Ray. <laughs> Go on. Well, when we first started Crisis as a, just a regular written website about comics, mm. uh, I wrote a review of the first issue of the New 52 Ray. Mm. This is probably within our first two or three months. Did uh, that series last particularly long? It was only meant to be a miniseries. Okay. So. But yeah, it was written by Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. And at the time, I wrote that the first issue had what felt like kind of a forced diversity. Mm. It was one of those things where, number one, DC was at the height of San Diego Batgirl and in New 52 where clearly everything was being written for a particular 17-year-old horned-up, <laughs> acne-ridden white teenage boy. Yeah. Um, and DC was feeling the pressure on that. So this is one of the first things that came out after the new 52 launch that was different from the 52 launch titles. Yeah, the, the Ray's best friends were all different races. His adoptive parents were white. So generally like the issues, but I noted that the element of okay, well, it's just sort of like people are checking off boxes of we need this and this and this and this so that people can say, look, we're not racist. Uh, I said it felt kind of forced to me. Rather than, you know, being organic and driven by the story. Right. So that was also purely by coincidence the first thing that we wrote that pissed off some of the more established members of the comics internet. A uh, fairly prominent website did one of those, I can't believe somebody would actually write something like this. But and I'm not going to link to them because God forbid we give them clicks while we bitch about them. Yeah, I'm not going to dignify them by linking to them, but they quoted it. They yeah. put a quote in so it. So you could run through Google and then find us. Yeah, so you can find us and scream at us, you know, <laughs> but purely by coincidence, it makes it hard to refute what they're saying because you don't necessarily know where they're coming from. Right. Of course, it didn't apparently occur to this person that I could look at our server logs and figure out what people were Googling to find it. And then, <laughs> And then Google that to find the only other website on the internet that had it. So, yeah, yeah I, I know who it was. And uh, no, we will never be friends. <laughs> I'm sorry that time has passed. <laughs> but, it, so, they probably still don't like us, if that helps. Oh, that's fine. Fuck them. Um, but So, yeah, because of that, if it's, a, oh, a new Ray comic? All right, we have to do it um, just to see what's different. And, yeah, this is actually... Very different in certain ways. Yes. Uh, it is also clearly a book that is shooting for a particular representation. I think it does it much more seamlessly than the original Ray did, which kills me because I love Jimmy Palmiotti and Justin Gray. This feels much more organic. Plus, it feels very old school. It feels like yeah. an old Silver Age origin. Yeah, it does, actually. It's a, it's a one-shot. Uh, DC's doing a few one-shots about some of the characters who are going to be in Justice League of America who right. haven't been reintroduced since Rebirth. Yeah, it's meant to be, okay, this, we're going to introduce you to this character in 20 pages. Old school Spider-Man-like. Okay, by the end of this issue, you're going to know who this character is. And yeah, it's completely different from the version we saw in the new 52. Yes. And, and yeah, it's just, <laughs> it flies along. I mean, it's pretty simple. Kid born with powers, apparently. Yes. Kid's afraid they make him a freak. Well, well and also... Um Dad had powers. Dad died from said powers, right. supposedly. Right. So we don't know if maybe the New 52 Ray or the earlier Ray before uh, New 52. We don't know what the relationship is, but apparently there's some form of hereditary or genetic. Yes. No. So because dad died, mom is 
absolutely paralyzed and keeps a tether on this child and won't let him leave the house. Oh yeah, keeps him inside, basically constantly implying what you are has made my life miserable uh, until finally he goes out on his own, he's inspired to use his powers for good, and now he's a superhero. Yes. So in that way, it's it's very old school, which is kind of cool. And it, it fucking flies, because the thing's only 20 pages. Fully four of those are full-page splashes. Yes. So there's not a lot of stop and reflect here. It moves along. Like uh, the speed of light? Oh, no, the speed of heat. I burn my family alive, <laughs> and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> and it's, it's well-constructed. But yes, it is clearly meant to be representative, I, I think, of mm-hmm. a gay teenager. I, I say this as a middle-aged straight white guy. It's hard for me to completely understand. But the symbolism seemed to be there for that. Yes. And some of the symbolism was, on one hand, a little on the nose. Because if you're looking for it, it's like, oh, okay, yeah, that's really out front. Kept indoors and out of the light all of the time with a, a parent who, on the one hand, says that she loves him, but at the same time doesn't understand him and is angry about him frequently. That it resents him. He's not normal. And that not being normal has fucked up her life. And yeah, the first time he puts himself out there in front of other people, he loses control and is shunned, makes himself literally invisible mm-hmm. to observe people from the background, finally decides to make a stand when he's confronted by a bigot who hates people like you in quotes and once I want you all out of my community, and do you know, Jesus, we tolerate you, isn't that enough? A bigot who purely by coincidence is dressed exactly like Captain America. Yeah, and which it is belongs a little, to something uh, called the Sons of Liberty or something. Yeah, which is a little odd. And uh, once Ray stands up to him, he moves forward, he embraces life, and the things that make him different. And it's on one hand, it's that's a classic comics message. That's X-Men. Yeah. That's it's okay to be different. It's okay to embrace what makes you different. Being different also equals special, and that's a lesson that any teenager would want. That's why part of why X-Men became wildly popular. That's classic Silver Age construction. Yeah. But if you're looking for that, the, the elements you know, for making it representative of teenage gay culture, which I know next to nothing about, but they really leap out once you see them. So it's on one hand, it's that felt a little forced, but at the same time, I also read the thing four or five times to to write notes so we could review it. Yeah, I, so I that shit's there if you want it, but if you don't, I don't know that it felt forced. I, I think that if you're looking for representation, it's not going to be as as glaring to you because you're going to be like, "Yes, this is my story." And for for other folks, I think it's woven in organically enough that it doesn't feel like it's written. Yeah, in a heavy-handed yeah, forced sense. is probably not the right word because, like I said, I read it a few times because we were going to review it. Yeah, and once it started to hit me, it jumped out at me. But yeah, my first read of it is no, it's just fast-paced, good old-school superhero origin story. Yeah, so it's there if you want it. It's not you know, if you don't, you can ignore it. So it's it's very well constructed on that basis. Yeah. So it's, yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. It's a it wasn't my book of the week. That's coming. But, <laughs> But it's pretty solid. Yeah, no, I I enjoyed it. And I'll I'll be curious to follow the characters for their adventures in Justice League of America. Yeah, I I bet he and Lobo are going to have a great deal to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, they're not. (laughs) All right, so anything else in particular about that one? No, no. It didn't scream hot topic to me, so I took that immediately (laughs) as a plus over the Batman book. Yes, so we'll go with that. Okay. This next one, I'm honestly not sure about. I liked it. 
I uh, liked it. I didn't dislike it. It had some problems. Okay. Which make make me a little apprehensive. It's a Angel Season 11 number one, uh, written by Karina uh, Bechko, art by Geraldo Borges. Borges? What kind of parents would name their kid that? Borges. We're going to go with that. Yeah. So yeah, it's an Angel's kind of solo again after a few years of Angel and Faith parallel mm-hmm. books to Buffy the Vampire Slayer's post-TV season seasons. Yes. Uh, he's working with Fred on an exorcism in Ireland uh, when he has a vision of some form of impending doom related to his past. and Because whenever Angelus gets involved, things go wrong. Uh, yeah. <laughs> that's... That's Angel in a nutshell. But sometimes I go evil and then everything goes to shit. <laughs> so yeah. It's well, a- Angelus really feels like it's it's a metaphor for some days I go off the wagon and I don't come up for air for a year. <laughs> it's a strange, strange <laughs> message for, for the teenagers who were watching Buffy in the 1990s. I, I think some of it's intended to be kind of a, a substance abuse metaphor. You know, I could act completely differently. I think I'm a badass. I do horrible, evil, reprehensible things. And then now I, I can get as loaded as I want, which is pretty damn loaded. And then I get my soul back and I go, shit, I got to go to rehab again <laughs> and feel bad and make amends and tell people I'm sorry. And <laughs> yeah. maybe this time, hopefully this time they'll understand again and, and not shun me. It's every rehab story where step one is I got to keep my dick out of Sarah Michelle Geller. <laughs> you you have a point, yeah. and, and we may come to that because it again spoilers. This very clearly is going to be an examination of Angelus, which is fine. Except we did that in Buffy season two and two or three times during the Angel series. Yeah, you know, the overall concept of Angel being forced to deal with the sins of his past is not. New territory. It's not new territory. He's not explored his uh, past with Fred slash Illyria, though, so that's the new spin on this. Yeah, and and it appears he's actually going back in time to deal with them directly, which is not a thing I think we've seen, except for the fact, wasn't he pretending to be Angelus at some point while Spike was still soulless? Yeah. And so we've... We've seen him act in the way that he used to while not being soulless, but trying to pretend like he is, so that's not new either. Yeah. Yeah, but there seems to be a certain level of trepidation on his part about going to the past because I th- there's an implied trigger. Something it, it, it's not enough that he has his soul back. Going back there could be actively dangerous for him. Yeah, but even that we don't get a lot of information about it. It's he doesn't want to talk about it, and when it looks like it's about to happen, when Illyria is going to drag him into the past, like no, I haven't told you everything, but we have no idea really what it is. Yeah, it's uh, look. The best parts of Angel's story over television and everything really have been, yeah, looking back at his past and where he came from and dealing with that. Yes. You know, all those episodes that were flashbacks with him and with Spike and Drusilla, those, I can't think of one that wasn't And fun. Darla. Don't forget and Darla. And Darla. It's, I'm sorry, once <laughs> she was killed by the Trinity Killer in, uh, <laughs> Dexter. in Dexter, I I've started associating that character, <laughs> that actress with another character. But so, yeah, it it looks like it's going to go into areas that I like about the character. The problem is this particular issue kind of fucking meanders. Yeah. We get the exorcism and that Illyria uses that as an excuse to validate that Angel's vision is actually legitimate uh, from something he did with his past. But then we get six pages out of a 22 page story 
of Angel and Fred hunting in this tomb for this scrying stone to try to see what he did in the past, and then three pages of them figuring out how to use it. So half the story is this blind because then Illyria comes back and says, that's not going to help you. I'm just going to drag you into the past. Yeah. So So what was the point of that? Yeah, and I don't want to call him filler because we might find out eventually the stone really does have something to do with the story. Yeah. You know, the whole Chekhov's gun on the wall. If you're going to show it to me, it better mean something. Right. But at face value right here, it's like, well, why the fuck did I spend six to nine pages with this thing that doesn't fucking matter if we're going to do what Fred said to begin with on page seven or whatever it was? Yeah, let's have Illyria take you back into the past. Right. So that's that's a little concerning. And honestly, for me, once you put Fred slash Illyria in a story, and we're in a situation now where, as at the end of Angel, it was Illyria all the time. Yes, they're sharing a space now. That seems new. Yeah, uh, look, I'm not going to bullshit. One thing I'm very encouraged about, and we talked about this with uh, Buffy season eleven issue one three or four weeks ago. Uh, both this and that are going to be twelve issues per season. Mm. I think the 22 or 24 issues they were doing just let a lot of fat get into the stories yeah. and you could go sort of down rabbit holes with, the, oh no, here's just an interesting side story and here's an excuse to give Nicholas Brendan something to do so maybe he doesn't <laughs> pick up a bottle and drive into an abutment turn or something Angelus. like that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, turn into <laughs> Nicholas Brendan wishes he could turn into <laughs> Angelus. Nicholas Brendan wishes he could turn into his brother. Wow. Okay. So <laughs> I'm sorry. I really enjoy when he's at Comic Con and he introduces the, the sing along. Seems like a gentleman. Yes. Uh, no. What I was going to say is, <laughs> when you have a situation that you're you're setting up, like Illyria and Fred are sharing a body, I want to know more about that. I don't care about the rest of the book. <laughs> and it, it, that came up. Uh, I'm trying to remember. I think it was last season of Angel and Faith. Yeah. But it's a, I'm having trouble remembering it because, yeah, because those, all the seasons of Buffy that have come afterwards, because they've been so long and have been allowed to meander, I go places where I tune in and out. Yeah. So I, I'm, I know I read it. I can't remember when. I don't remember if it was this past season of Angel and Faith or the one before that. Mm -hmm. But it's, yeah, it's been resolved. The same way Giles is now 12 years yeah. old and full of hormones. Yeah, they, they did that with Fred. Yep. Okay. It's, it's a thing. I, I believe so, you. I believe you. Also looking at this, this particular issue, right now the big bad is bugs. There's bugs everywhere. There's spiders. And it's a nice, cheap, easy way to get the old skin crawling. But Creepy, grotesque flowers. Yeah. Well, even that. The, the evil plant that doesn't seem to be of this earth, that reminded me of the Dark Tower. Stephen King's The Dark Tower. It made me think of Troll. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen Troll. You don't have to. All right, thank you. <laughs> kind of guess that <laughs> but no there was a rose that was in this vacant lot that was the nexus of realities mm. that if you got close to it seemed unreal and would sing to you and so even that kind of reminded me of that so yeah i'm a little apprehensive we're starting off with elements that either are just sort of classic cliches show them a spider that'll gross them out or oh, this kind of reminds me of other stuff that makes me a little bit nervous but i, I keep trying to go back to i'm trying to be on the optimistic side with this Give me 12 issues so the fat's gone. And yeah, show me a lot of Angel's past because the stuff that we've seen of it has always been compelling. Yeah. And there's certainly plenty of years there that we could dive into. And yeah, spend a little time with pre-soul Spike, who everybody likes, and crazy-ass Drusilla, who everybody likes. Yeah. And uh, Julie Benz. <laughs> 
That makes but sense. I'm trying to be optimistic, but yeah, the execution on this particular issue, as part of a whole, it makes me go, uh, but it might work out. Well, we'll have to see. It's new. Yes. That's all I got. That's all I've got. Last one. This is the one I just flat out liked. So, I did too. This is fun. Yes. This is a fun book from Image. A fun book with a, a lot of layers going on. Uh, Curse Words, number one, uh, written by Charles Sewell, art by Ryan Brown. Uh, it's an original property, even it though is. it'll remind you of uh, a few other things. We've got a wizard named Wizard. Yes. <laughs> I'm guessing Big Booty was already taken by Two Chains, but whatever. <laughs> what? <laughs> that line from that Two Chains song, she's got a big booty, so I call her Big Booty. I am not familiar with this song. Uh, I saw it on the internets. Sure. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you fucking judge me now. <laughs> sure. Not judging. I burn my family alive and I like to light things on fire. <laughs> and I'm familiar with one two chain song. <laughs> All of one of them. Well, there you go. But anyway, Wizard, named Wizard, <laughs> comes to Earth from some other world to enslave it for someone, something named Syzygy. I'm guessing that's pronounced right. But yeah, it's if you can a, say his name with a straight face, he doesn't smite you. <laughs> that's based on what the description is. That sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> uh, so yeah, Wizard uh, spent some time in New York. He instead decides, in, instead of enslaving it, he's going to protect it, at least for a price. Uh, he becomes a wizard for hire. He's got three world, three rules: uh, no cures, no wars, no love. Which you would think would cover just about anything any dipshit might actually ask him for, yeah. but you'd be very, very wrong. Um, and yeah, granting one particular dipshit stupid wish uh, allows Syzygy... Uh, uh, I can't say his name. I'm doomed. <laughs> Promote Syzygy. Uh, <laughs> damn, I didn't load like that. Like a boss. I didn't load that sound clip this week. <laughs> Shit. Allows Syzygy to find Wizard and... Uh, yeah, honestly, you start to really question Wizard's actual motivations. I'm not sure in any way he's actually a hero in this story. No. I think he likes to show off his power, and he likes to be protective of things. Yeah, it's look, this book at a certain level is the Dresden Files. Yeah. If Harry Dresden decided to let himself become an international rock star <laughs> and was apparently willing to do absolutely anything to maintain that, and I'm a couple books behind, maybe that's happened. I know, wouldn't he the winter night or something? And yeah, still is. Yeah, it's been four. So I'm, I'm four or five years and three or four books behind. I'm going to okay. have to reread it. But as an analogy, I guess that holds up. He's sort of Dresden-ish, except from another world. And yeah, just lets himself. He, he's not going to work in a basement apartment and drive the Blue Beetle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's your general impression on this? You, I you thought take it was point fun. I thought it was fun. I mean, there was a lot of silliness. Like the guy who... You know, it's not enough for him to be platinum on the on the radio. He he wants to literally be made of platinum and didn't think things through. <laughs> oh, totally different. <laughs> Again, that's one of the things I really liked about this was yeah, by setting those rules, you know, certainly Wizard goes out and and does stuff to sort of bring himself attention. Like he'll create food in war zones and yeah. you know, will you know, help reunite children with their parents by doing locator spells. But when it comes to people who just show up, once you've got those rules, you get people with dumb stuff. Yeah. And yeah, you got this Justin Bieber knockoff who clearly, all he can think of is in his head is, I've got platinum. I must be platinum. 
And it's a ridiculous thing to ask for. It is. It is. But Wizard just says, hey, fine, you got the, the emeralds or whatever. Not emeralds. Uh, sapphires. Sapphires. Give me what I'm asking for. And and that turns out to be a, a thing that he needs later in the story. Yeah. But it's it's just a great moment of, uh, yeah. It's uh, What's his name again? The the Bieber knockoff? Uh, Johnny One. Johnny One. He's like, well, but wait, I can't feel anything. It's It feels like when your foot's asleep. And I'm the foot. But I'm all foot. Yeah. It definitely starts out lighthearted, but it really, as it goes along, it kind of forced me to really examine the motivations of what Wizard is doing and why. It really, there's some evidence where he sort of indicates that, yeah, I've spent some time amongst the people of Earth in New York, and the fact that they're free and not slaves really impresses me and touches me so I want to protect this so nobody has to live the way people live where the world I came from but there's just as much evidence that he did it because it was an opportunity to free himself from that enslavement and that's a very different motivation and a very different set of ends that he might be willing to go to to protect his own freedom as opposed to protecting our freedom right and also by the end of it, you know, since he's willing to go to any lengths to protect himself and what he perceives are the the people around him and their needs, he he goes to such lengths and such displays of power that he's now terrified everybody that he was sworn to protect. Yes. Is so it, that changes his relationship with these humans. Well, even then, maybe it doesn't because yes, he has this horrible fight to the death of the the tricky part of the the plot is he's hidden himself well, but when he does this ridiculously powerful spell to turn Johnny One <laughs> into living, breathing platinum, that pings him on the radar. So Syzygy can send, what, what was the dude's name, Cornwall? Yeah. Uh, after him. And the final battle is brutal and destructive and takes place in the middle of this Major League Baseball stadium. And I don't know if you noticed, it's he casts a spell and puts something in his pocket yeah. If you look closely, that's the baseball stadium. He has shrunk that down and taken it. Yeah, they might be horrified, but he's taken them off the board for some reason, and that's an interesting question. Is it just to protect his reputation? Is it to protect them from something else? I don't know. Yeah, so it, it raises questions as this goes along as to what's this guy's real angle. It's a good question. I, and it just, the book seems like it's fun. And I, I, that's enough for me, frankly. <laughs> There's definitely fun elements in it. You know, that whole opening sequence with Johnny One, the, the flashback showing him building up his own reputation and giving other ridiculous wishes, like the baseball player, he gives the giant arm so he can throw <laughs> harder. Yeah. So yeah, there's definitely an element of humor to it. But I, I think there's some more depth going on also. It's, it's very much... Yeah, similar to a one and done, like the Ray. It's a, we'll give all the elements of, yep, here's everything you need to know about this guy. So here's his origin story, but there's just enough going on underneath where it's like, what, what's he really doing? Yeah. And, which I liked a lot. It added some depth to just the fun. The fun is certainly there. There's also visual elements that it took two or three reads through to pick up. There's something interesting going on with the rule some world building has gone on yes that is not being addressed but it's being shown and if you pick it up it's like oh, okay what's what does this mean uh like wizard's beard 
Mm. Until he decides he's not going to enslave the earth, it's as brown as the rest of his hair. Right. And over the course of a page or two, then it goes white. Yeah. So I don't know if that's a... It's also the source of his power, because when he gets a haircut, the, the beard stays. Yeah, it's it's at least related to his power in some way, because it, yeah, it gives a fairly solid electric shock to a barber, <laughs> which is also kind of a fun moment. Yes. I also like his familiar that starts life as a rat, uh, Heather, and uh, becomes... Oh, Margaret. Margaret, I'm sorry. Yeah. And becomes um, a koala bear. Well, that's that's another visual thing <laughs> that I thought was cool from, from Ryan Brown, because... That's not a good-looking koala bear. No. That's almost an uncanny valley koala bear. It's like, <laughs> it's wrong to the eye, and you would think that this guy, if it's like, okay, one of the major characters is going to be Margaret the koala bear, he'd have the koala bear down, but it just, it seems a little weird, and if that's not intentional, uh, Mr. Brown, I'm sorry, but you draw a fucked up koala. <laughs> Which makes me want to think that, okay, yeah, maybe there's something going on with, it's clearly not a koala, because yeah, he started as a rat, so what's going on with it? Well, he wanted to change forms, because there's that moment where he's got a cell phone, and he's pulled up a picture of a koala, and he's pointing at it for wizard. Oh yeah, no, he (laughs) he has decided this is the form that he or she, with Margaret, no, I would imagine a she, that wants to take, but but yeah, it just... It seems weird, and it makes me want to understand more about this. The same thing with uh, Wizard's eyes. Yes. Everybody who uses magic, their eyes are blank white until Wizard gives himself a spell of understanding, and then he occasionally has pupils. Sometimes he doesn't. Right. So I don't know what the rules are around that. So there's, at least to my mind, there's obviously been some world building here that's it's just happening, and it's there for you to notice if you want, not notice if you don't pick it up. I imagine things will be explained later on. But yeah, there's a lot going on on this. And at the base of it, yeah, there's just some good fun shit, but also some depth to it. So I got a lot out of this. I really enjoyed it. This is really my book of the week. Yeah, no, I, I enjoyed this very much. So if you're looking for something fun and different and not Hot Topic Batman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, it's also, it reminds me of why I like Charles Sewell so much at DC. Yeah. And and not nearly as much at Marvel. At DC, he took these marginalized characters and these archetypes and made them interesting, which was no mean feat in the depths of the end of the New 52, where everybody knew shit was wrong and nobody seemed to quite know how to fix it beyond, all right, we're punching out. Yeah. Yeah, and his stuff at Marvel has just not done nearly as well for me. His stuff on Daredevil is pretty good, but it's, it's hit or miss. Mm. You know, it's, I don't think it's as consistently good as we all got used to with Mark Wade and with Bendis. His Inhumans work might kick ass, but it's it's the Inhumans. Inhumans. He also, I'm sure, wrote one hell of a legal brief. Doesn't matter, not reading (laughs) either one of them. So yeah, it's curse words just feels like, yeah, it reminds me. It's like, yeah, that's why I I like this guy. So I I enjoyed this one a lot. Now the whole thing has a nice sense of humor through it, including you get to the, the back page where they talk about the book and, you know, welcome to the story and you know, here's how you should email us if you want to get in touch with us to let us know what you think. It's uh, wizard, W-I-Z-O-R-D, at wizard.horse. And I read, why, yes, a .horse URL is a real thing and we bought one. Thanks for asking. <laughs> that scares me. Yeah. <laughs> because I don't want to know what else is in the .horse top-level domain. I really don't. <laughs> 
Uh, so yes, I like ending on a winner. This, this one was a lot of fun. I picked it up on a whim. It's like, I don't know what it is. I hadn't heard of it before. Charles Sewell. Okay. I'll give it a shot. And it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Pick up this book. It's fun. Yes. And it's not emo. No. It's not hot topic. No. <laughs> Doesn't have clones. Ugh. <laughs> uh, don't jinx it. Okay. <laughs> All right. Anything else or you, you want to wrap it up? I think we, think we've covered everything. Okay. So yeah, it's, it's fun doing a, an episode just about comics every now and again. Yes. But hopefully some big news <laughs> will be coming up at some point soon. Cause yeah, we're moving into convention season. I want to start hearing some cool shit. Right. But this week it's just books and that's cool. So don't know where you found this particular episode, but you can always find us at our home website, crisisoninfinitemidlives.com. Uh, where else are we? We're on Facebook. Mm-hmm. We've actually done some stuff with Facebook this week. Yeah, I found out there's an app you can put on your phone mm-hmm. and do Facebook on it. Really? Apparently. So I've, yeah. yeah, there's some settings in that you might want to look at, <laughs> according to teenagers who have told me this. Uh, <laughs> I'd contact those teenagers because I really shouldn't talk to them directly. <laughs> Find out those settings. But uh, that means that, yeah, I can uh, do some more stuff with it. And also, uh, yes, if you send us a message through there, it will show up on my phone. So I will know. Yes. So that our Facebook page is uh, facebook.com slash crisis on infinite midlives. We are on Twitter. Twitter handle is at infinite midlife. We are on Tumblr, crisis on infinite midlives can uh, get us on iTunes, and if that's how you like to get podcasts, yeah, you can subscribe to us through there, or if not, you can give us a rating, give us a review, because it helps new people find the show. Mm-hmm. And we're at all the other usual suspects. We're <laughs> on the Google Play services, and we're on Stitcher Radio. We're on TuneIn Radio. We are proud members of the Comics Podcast Network. You can always send us an email, crisisoninfinitemidlives at gmail.com. I get everything? I think you got everything. Every week I ask, and every week I'm sure I'm fucking forgetting (laughs) something. Because I'm an alcoholic. So, this has been episode 140. 140. The Crisis on Infinite Midlife show. I'm Rob. I'm Amanda. Thank you for listening, and derp. Fuck you.